to the Picket Fence Podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us. We are heading back into kind of a normal episode here. We've had some great interviews the past couple weeks with Coach Ryan Miller and uh, Coach Mike Brown. We encourage you guys to go check those out. Uh, uh, my name is Cam Smith. And my name is Derek Early. Uh, we're really excited to have you guys. We have a lot of different exciting basketball topics coming up today. Um, a lot of kind of Different basketball things going on in this basketball downtime. Um, we're going to get into those shortly. And we have some really exciting things coming up um, in our four quarters uh, segment. We're going to talk about some of the exciting news going on in uh, the state of Indiana. Some very interesting, exciting news for some of these high school players and coaches. We're going to look at the NBA Summer League and kind of recap that and then wrap it up with some very interesting free agency news. Um, and then to end our segment today, there's a there's a you know, for, for really diehard basketball fans, the the basketball tournament that goes on here late in the summer, the TBT as they call it, uh, is going on. And we're going to discuss that and kind of bring up some of our um, um, kind of what-if TBT teams and uh, all-time rosters. And we'll get to that later on. But right now in shoot-around, we're going to discuss a couple interesting um, hot basketball topics right now. Um, and for nostalgia purposes, we're going to talk about this brand-new basketball league that has been restarted for the fifth time now uh, in Slam Ball. Derek, have you caught any Slam Ball right. this summer? It's always good to reinvent yourself, Cam, even if it is five times. That's uh, right. <clears throat> I did. It's just a simply, like you said, it's nostalgia purposes, so I wanted to make sure I tuned in a little bit. And it was, I think, more or less what I remembered it being. Uh, I, was, I remember being far more excited when I was little and watching it because it was everything you wanted to do as a kid as far as putting the trampoline in front of the basketball goal and simply seeing how high you could get and the things you could do while you were in the air like that. and uh, It's not as good as I remembered. I'll just be honest. Uh, I, remember, I, I remember it not moving as fast when I was little. Uh, I watched a couple of minutes of the first quarter of a game the other night and changed the channel for a few minutes, came back, it was already halftime. So I don't know, I didn't see what the length of the quarters is, but it's a very fast-paced moving game. And it reminded me, you and I were talking before we jumped on here, it reminded me a little bit of playing NBA Jam when we were little, where you're just simply trying to run your defender at the ball handler and shove them down to get the steal. And it's kind of basically what slam ball is, I think, at this point. I mean, they've got some really good athletes, uh, but it's not really – there's not a whole lot of basketball to it. It's it's more of a full-contact basketball game where it's simply guys trying to get to the trampoline and, and get a dunk on somebody. But did you catch any of it? Um, so I've just watched kind of the highlights and clips. I think I saw that someone set the slam ball points record the other day. Um, I think he had – 43 points. I want to go back and check it out. Okay. I saw that, though. It was interesting. And so for those who don't know, Slam Ball is um, a new a new league that they're having in Vegas right now, but not so new. They've restarted this sport a handful of times. Um, I remember as a kid watching it on the Cartoon Network. Like They actually yeah. aired 
games on the Cartoon Network, um, which I kind of still wish they did that. That would be really neat. But I remember seeing it uh, <laughs> there. But how Slam Ball essentially works is it is kind of like the video game NBA Jam. There is a basketball court that has trampolines inside the arc. Um, you are padded. Um, they call it a combination of basketball and kind of hockey. You can kind of tackle and be very physical. Um, it's very easy to obviously get to the rim in, in some aspects because of the trampolines. Um, the rules are, and this is interesting, if you take a shot inside the arc, it's worth three points. If you take a shot outside the arc, it's four points. Okay. It's a 26-foot three-point line. And then anything off the trampoline that's just like a jump shot or a layup is two points. So I think if you're not, I think if you're dunking the ball, it's three. But if you're not, it's two. I think that's how I understand it. Um, and, and a three-point line is actually four points. Well, in the little in the little bit that I saw, the outside shot was not at a premium, nor was it an emphasis. Uh, and I think, you know, back to the basics. The yeah, classic. it's very, very back to the basics. Uh, and it's fine. I guess fine. I'm, yeah. I'm probably not gonna sit there and tell myself it's not gonna be appointment television for me by any means. Especially now that we're getting into school starting back and. Football is not far away. Baseball is kind of getting into the the good part of the season as they we get into teams trying to make playoff races and stuff like that. So there's going to be other things on the TV for me, but I'll I'll tune in and watch a little bit. You know, if it's on, I'll I'll check it out for a minute or two. But it's yeah, I kind of think the same thing. It's it's not something I'm going out of my way. I mean, if I come across it on YouTube, I'm probably going to look up the highlights because I think that's what is exciting about it it's like all oh, the you know the clips of this guy jumped you know over the rim and dunked the ball i mean that's it is i think more catered to kids when oh, i was yeah. a kid it was like my favorite sport i yeah. thought it was the coolest thing um and they usually get people um with some basketball connection coaching or involved in some way yeah. i remember when i was a kid that john starks was a coach of one of the teams like a former knicks guard like they get people that you know are a name to, to promote it but it definitely seems like a vegas thing um, and it, it's cool that it's back. It's cool that it's going to be, you know, it's more YouTube. I, I think it's not basketball enough, like you're saying. There's no, it, there's not an emphasis on anything other than the dunking or really the tackling. Like, yeah. That's like the second most important part. Yeah. Yeah, it, it falls into kind of the same category as the big three, three-on-three league for me. Like if it's on TV and I see it, you know, I'll check it out because I enjoy watching sports, but it's not something I'm going to sit down and make sure I'm, I'm home to watch or something that I'm going to watch an entire <laughs> game of, you know? Yeah, don't tell me the score of the slam ball game. I, I got a recording. Yeah, I'm, um, not, <laughs> I'm not DVRing it. Yeah, no. Well, that's what I think it's funny. is like It seems like it's something that I wish maybe a streaming service or YouTube would have picked up. I feel like it would be more popular. Yeah. If it was an exclusively YouTube show or, um, you know, some, one of the streaming services. You know, I don't know. Netflix or somebody had like, oh, hey, they have episodes of Slam Ball that you can watch. I feel like that would be maybe more, a better way to go back. Like on ESPN, basketball fans are, it, it is for kids. And honestly, I feel like it's more for non-basketball fans, for people who just oh, want it's, to see. Oh, it's definitely like, geared for that elementary and middle school yeah. basketball player, football player, wrestler type kid. Because 
I can remember being invested in watching. I think it was on the same channel that the WWE used to be on when I was little, like the first rendition yeah. of Slam Ball. And I remember being excited to watch it, and then turned on the other night, and it was I just was not uh, to quote Gladiator, I was not entertained. No doubt. Biggest, biggest names in basketball, and I, I definitely a big name going into college basketball, being who he was, and that's a that's a really scary thing there. And we're glad for the reports are that he's he's stable and doing okay, but that's that's a pretty wild story here, especially with the name that it was. Yeah, and you hear the the phrase cardiac arrest. You know, I'm not obviously a doctor, and I wasn't there, so to speculate would be highly irresponsible. But you know, you wonder if it was a full cardiac arrest. You know, was this a situation where they got AEDs out and had to, you know, render some sort of life-saving aid? Or was it maybe just got into a situation where he collapsed and went down on the court? I guess we'll find out all those details later. But never, nevertheless, that's an incredibly scary situation uh, for not only Bronny but for the James family, for USC. And, you know, you've got to feel for the coaching staff and for the players on the team too because that's a traumatic experience you know, for those 25 or 30 people, I'm sure, that were in the gym. That's an awful thing to have to go through. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's definitely pretty shocking to see that. I know I read the statement. I think that the James family is keeping everything pretty private, which is definitely understandable. Um, but, yeah, that's that's pretty shocking. And I remember a couple of years ago when Shaquille O'Neal's son committed LSU. Yeah. Um, he had, I don't know if it was similar, but had some heart conditions as well. So um, it's just, it's really unfortunate that we're seeing, like, the, you know, again, in some you know, capacity, the son of somebody who's, you know, pretty legendary in basketball to have this issue. Not sure what the root cause is. Again, we're not here to speculate anything, but, uh, yeah, just a pretty, pretty shocking story coming out of, of college Yeah, and, I mean, you, you think, you hear cardiac arrest in basketball and somebody collapsing and going down. You, I, I immediately go to Hank Gathers. Yep. And, you know, from out there at Loyola, and obviously that was a much more traumatic experience there as he lost his life and he passed away but uh, you know you don't want to mess with stuff like that and it's never never anything to take lightly and so hopefully he does what he needs to do the family does what they need to do USC is careful in this process and making sure they diagnose whatever the the root cause was you know we talked about Shaq's son you know had some sort of diagnosed heart condition I think he ended up having open heart surgery to some regard Um, and this is actually the second summer in a row that USC has had a player have a cardiac arrest and collapse in practice. Uh, I didn't know that. They had uh, one of their 
again, predominant recruits. Um, it was one of their centers last summer. He went down and missed a good portion of the year. I think he ended up playing in something like 14 games maybe, um, but it wasn't until later in the year that he was finally able to get up and get going. So, um, you know, like we said, prayers out to, to Bronny, certainly thinking about that situation, and hopefully everything works out for the best. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully back to full health and he can be a part of the USC basketball program and we can uh, see him out there competing. Um, that wraps up our shoot-around. Uh, when we come back, we're going to play four quarters and get into some big basketball news. All right, Cam, as we come back into this, getting into our four-quarter segment here, our first quarter that we're going to dive into for eight minutes, again, kind of mirroring the high school game with our eight-minute quarters because it's been a while since we've gotten into these these conversations and done kind of a full episode. So our first quarter is going to be our in-state Indiana high school basketball player transfers. Um, we've had a few rather significant players in the state of Indiana um, decide to relocate, change high schools, and kind of take a different route um, than staying with their traditional high school public school team. And the players we want to talk about, and I'll let you kind of elaborate a little bit. Um, the first player is Jalen Harrelson out of Fishers up on the north side of Indianapolis. And then the second player that you and I have talked about a couple of times, you mentioned him after the Charlie Hughes tournament, is Cannon Catchings out of Brownsburg there on the west side of Indianapolis. So, um, you know, kind of what's your take on this and, and what, are, what are your feelings? We can talk about where these two players are going to be relocating to and kind of what that – may or may not mean for their future, but I'll let you kind of take the floor here. Sure, yeah. Um, interesting news, and they kind of happened almost back-to-back, so Cannon Catchings, uh, nephew of Tamika Catchings, who is a WNBA superstar, um, transfers to Overtime Elite, which is out of Atlanta, Georgia, which is kind of a professional basketball league. Um, but yeah. it is still listed that he is a Purdue basketball commit. So he is leading Brownsburg. Um, and attending this kind of professional league, the Thompson Twins, who just got drafted, played over in overtime elite. Um, there have been some other NBA players who have been there as well. Um, and then Jalen Harrelson from Fishers transfers to Lollamere, which there's that's a public school casualty, or, you know, in Indiana. There's a lot of big-time superstars that have made the, made the move up there to Lollamere, yeah. uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, being one of them from Park Tudor went there. Um you know, it's just interesting to see that. I mean, I'm not surprised. I think we'll see a lot of bigger name guys um, make that jump. I don't think that we've really seen the Indiana star player leave the state, though. Um, that's what I think is most interesting to yeah. me. With Cannon Catchings being a guy going going to Purdue, leaving high school. And what's really interesting about that is he was, I would think, maybe the favorite for Mr. Basketball. I know uh, Floyd Badunga has been the big name, but... Just seeing what I saw up there at Charlie Hughes, the fact that he is going to an Indiana college yep. made me think that he has a shot at being Mr. Basketball. Um, that's, you know, out the door now, um, which kind of opens the door for Flory and then as well um, Jack Benner from Brownstown Central. Yep. Um, you know, with him making the jump to overtime elite, that is, uh, which we wish him, I, I wish him the best of luck. I mean, I'm sure he'll be fantastic down there. But I think it just hurts a little bit to see an Indiana guy leave the state and go down mm-hmm. there. Um I do also hate the Lalamure thing just because I like seeing those guys compete in the tournament. Jalen Harrelson has two more years of high school left um, and will be going there. Um, opens the door for some other guys to get maybe some Mr. Basketball talk for next year's class. Um, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of it. I'm not going to sit there and say we shouldn't allow kids to do that or whatever. I just hate seeing the top talent in the state leave. Yeah. Um, especially someone who's getting attention like that. Um, 
Cannon catching was going to be somebody that we heard about this year when it was a big deal. And the fact that he steps out now kind of takes away from that big Mr. Basketball three-headed monster that we were all yeah. um, looking forward to. Um, you know, it's unfortunate for that, but having a guy of that talent going down there, you know, really shows how good Cannon Catchings um, can be and will be um, going to something that's as big as Overtime Elite. Uh, what, do, what are your thoughts on it? Well, just to kind of give a little bit more background to what this Overtime Elite is, like you said, it's a professional basketball league based out of Atlanta. Uh, they are geared towards 16 to 20-year-olds, so that's the age that they deal with in their league. Um, it's owned and operated by Overtime, was founded by Dan Porter, Zach Weiner. Um, but their sponsors are Gatorade, GMC, Meta, which I, I guess is Facebook, um, yeah. and State Farm. And looking at salaries... It says overtime elite players make a minimum of $100,000 a year. Um, so I think that that's kind of an interesting thing. Obviously going down there to play, you know, in what is a youth professional basketball league. Um, as you mentioned, the Thompson Twins who just got drafted, they both came out of overtime elite. Uh, so it's comes across as being an NBA, sort of an NBA proving ground. Sure. Um, sort of like the G League or your guys that we've seen previously, guys like Brandon Jennings that went to Europe um, for a year to get themselves ready for the league. It's definitely a proving ground type system. Um, like you said, still looking at going to Purdue. And we'll see how that goes. Um, obviously, this will be his senior year of high school, so you still have to be a year removed before you can go pro. But, you know, money talks. And um, when these guys are young, I think they're looking to stack as much money as they can. But I'm sure – there's probably, you know, with NIL and things like that, the opportunity to make money in college is probably going to be, I would think, equivalent. Uh, I'm with you when it comes to these guys looking at both uh, Harrelson and, and Catchings. Uh, for me, I'm a, I'm a purist. And to me, Indiana has always been different because we've not really been a state where kids have gone and done this much, um, where they've left their high school and gone somewhere else. You know, Jaron Jackson, I think, maybe the last guy I remember doing that, leaving Park Tudor to go to La Lumiere, but really we don't have a whole lot of this. Guys typically stay home at their high school and play out their four years, and I think in large part a lot of it has to do with wanting to compete for a state title, but also there's a there's a certain cachet that comes when your name is attached to Mr. Basketball, and the top seniors in the state I think typically do want to try and pursue that, and this certainly – I think blows the door wide open for it to be a two-man race between uh, Flory Bedunga and Jack Benner. Yeah, I think that's what that's to me is what I think I've thought about the most is this kid was I, I thought after the summer had the best shot at it just because um, it seems like maybe you know when you're going to an Indiana college. And we're not for sure that Floyd will do that. A lot of times, they'll favor the kid that's staying in state. Um, now that's left to Floyd Bedunga, who has not yet made his decision. And Jack Benner, who we know will be going to Purdue. Uh, personally, I'd love to see the Southern Indiana kid get it. <laughs> no doubt. But, I mean, yeah, it would be really exciting. And, and I do enjoy Floyd Bedunga as well. I mean, it's definitely, I mean I'm not going to be upset either way because they're all right. fun town. Um, because if he gets it, he certainly earned it. But Cannon Catchings is one I, I felt like probably had the best shot at it. Um, from my perspective, I mean, that, you know, maybe I, I don't have a vote, but um, 
I think it's just disappointing for the same reason you said. It, it's the it's the want to see the kid compete for a state title, um, to get the Mr. Basketball crown, um, and now it really looks like it's cut down to a two-man race. I mean, someone may come out of the woodwork. We have no idea. Um, kind of last year was was a similar way with Marcus Burton stepping up and right. getting that. There was it wasn't as expected for him to get it. Um, it was exciting to see him step up and grab that. Uh, you know, I'm I'm very curious to see what that race looks like going forward with someone who yep. was a favorite to get it now leaving. Um, I hope that he does come back and go to Purdue. It will be exciting to have him join the Purdue Boilermakers, and I really hope that uh, he's not going to completely cut that out of the way. I'd really like to see him come back into Indiana uh, and compete for all that. Yeah, he comes back to Purdue. You're, I mean, I think. Obviously, with them bringing – there's our bell there, but Purdue yeah. bringing Edie back uh, and really not losing anybody off of that roster from last year that was number one in the country for the majority of the season, to be able to bring in Jack Benner and, and Cannon Catchings, obviously losing Edie after this season. But to bring those guys in with what Purdue has, I mean, it would be an incredibly fun team to watch in the Big Ten. Absolutely. Absolutely. I hope, I hope to see them there for sure. Um, second quarter – um, our topic for that as we leave the state of Indiana and head towards pro basketball, the biggest prospect possibly in the history of basketball is what I want to bring up here in the second quarter. Um, we got a taste of Victor Wimbanyama in the yep. NBA and the San Antonio Spurs. Um, just to, as I start the clock here, what were your uh, just initial takeaways on those two games we got to see? Yeah, I know you're, you're on the – you're on the Wimbanyama train pretty hard, so I'll give you most of this particular quarter to, to, to talk about your opinions. Uh, I like him. But the, the big takeaway for me is his immediate impact looks like it's going to be on the defensive end at least right away, um, and that's not to take anything away from him offensively, but I think right out of the gate, looking at getting the season started, his initial impact is for sure going to be on the defensive end and his ability to change things around the rim and in the paint. You just – you know, you can't teach seven four, seven feet five with the wingspan he has. Um, so defensively, I think he's an immediate impact. It'll take him a minute to probably get his, his legs underneath of him offensively and kind of figure the game out. I know he's garnered some attention, um, not only for his Britney Spears interactions, but also for his statements um, talking about how he didn't think the game was as physical as he was coming over to from Europe. Um, and Summer League... Maybe it's not as physical, but I do think he's going to get a fairly rude awakening because I think that that put a little bit of a target on his back talking about the NBA not being as physical. Um, when he's matching up against guys like Embiid, Draymond Green, Giannis, um, Jokic, I'm sure that they'll match up. So when he talks about physicality, I don't think he's quite seen that yet. Uh, and I think it'll take his body a minute to adjust. But as far as the prospect goes, He's, I think it's got to be him and Chet Holmgren easily talking to 1A, 1B for Rookie of the Year, and I'm excited to, to see him play um, coming up here in October. Yeah, you know, um, to kind of go with what you were saying there first, I definitely agree. The physicality comment was interesting. Um, I, I'm curious if, if that does put maybe a target on his back there. Um, they definitely were very physical with him in summer league, what I thought, um, and he definitely has a huge defensive impact. Um Blocking a handful of shots a game seems like something that he could do pretty frequently, and he did that in those summer league games. Uh, first and foremost, I was a little bit skeptical about him going to San Antonio. I kind of was hoping maybe for some other scenarios, but the more I've thought about it and seen him there, uh, I really, really like that that's where he ended up. 
Um, there were some pictures that you know circulated on social media of him going to dinner with uh, Tim Duncan and David Robinson and Manu Ginobili and some of those guys that are you know Spurs lifers. And that just was so interesting to me that they took so much pride in that organization and being a part of it, and that they immediately take this guy under their wing. Uh, just makes me excited for him to be there. And I think that if he could be an ambas- ambassador for that team and be a Tim Duncan-like figure in terms of the way he carries himself, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see that. Um, he's pretty well-spoken. It seems like he's pretty intelligent. He's, you know, hope- I'm hoping that he is not like some of the other young prospects we've seen um, <laughs> in the past couple of years that are kind of in some trouble right now. But I really, really like what I've seen out of him. Um, so kind of my, my thoughts watching him is, definitely has defensive instincts that are at an elite level yeah like he's blocking shots he's he moves laterally very very well switches out on the perimeter i mean him taking three-point shots out of the air and blocking him is super impressive i know yeah. he's very tall but it's still an impressive skill the things that i thought as i watched him um one i think they wanted to showcase his skill set but i don't think he's going to thrive being a guy that attacks off the dribble all the time. I know that he, you know, people have compared him to like a taller Kevin Durant. He definitely has those skills, but you could see him struggle trying to take guys off the dribble. He was trying to penetrate, trying to cross over at times, and he got jumbled up, got the ball taken from him. That first game that he played was was not very good. Um, he had like nine points. He did not shoot it well. Um, I think that he definitely struggled because of that reason. I'm not saying he can't be a guy. That, I'm not saying, you know, just – just put him on the block and don't let him out there and show it off. He definitely has some of those skills, but I think it was an adjustment, um, and it's not going to be as easy for him to do that in the league, especially right off the bat. I don't think that he is Kevin Durant. I'm not saying he can't be that, but I'd like to see him in other ways. But he had some times, especially in that second game, where some of the stuff he's doing at 7-4 and 7-5 is – Ridiculous, and especially the footwork. I mean, I know we've seen that, but to see it in an NBA game is crazy. He had a play where he was on the right wing, and he went kind of between the legs crossover, and driving left to pull up off the inside foot, you know, right foot going to the inside, which is something that we work on coaching kids, and it's really hard to get the kids to, you know what I mean, go off that inside <laughs> foot and, and use the proper footwork. To be that tall, be a guy that, looks that smooth, go up off the inside foot and just pull up for a mid-range jumper like that and hit nothing but the bottom of the net was so impressive. Like, that play to me, I think about that. I thought about it a lot since that game. Like, man, I can't believe that kid pulled off a move like that. Um, But I'd really like to see him around the basket more, and I don't just mean traditional post-ups, but to think about him being a pick-and-roll threat, obviously, and I'm not trying to take away from any of those skills. But when he catches the ball... 10 feet and in, there's not much you can do with that. And I'm not saying he needs to be a, you know, he needs to be back to basket all the time. But you could see the way teams panic and he caught it around the basket, even if it was like 10 feet. Because he just has to turn and face up and he can get right there. Yeah. Um, I hope that they use him in that way. I know that they will showcase him on the perimeter and I hope to see that as well. But if he's rolling to the basket and he can somewhat get his hand on it, he's probably going to score it. And if he gets a catch, 10 feet and in, it looks like he's going to have a pretty good shot of putting the basket. I mean, it, it seems like it, teams panic with that. So um, I'm hoping they u- utilize him in that way um, and he can develop some of those other skills. But that second game especially, he really got me excited because he showed a lot of really exciting skills. Yeah, I think the only way they use him as a in a, in a detriment type of way is by putting him on an island on the wing 
and expecting him to go get his own bucket and make something happen because I've seen some guys in interviews already in the NBA talk about, you know, it, if he's going to play on the perimeter, it doesn't matter what size of guy you match up with him. You can put a guard on him if he's going to play on the wing, and every defender in the NBA can get up underneath of him and use leverage to keep him from getting to his spots. Um, I like the Kevin Durant comparison on your part because, to me, if he's operating from even 15 feet and in, if he's operating in the pinch post area, the elbows, um, even 15 feet out on the wing, if you can get him sets to come off and get a catch where he can face up and look to score, there's nobody that can contest his shot. Like, you can try and get a hand in his face, but you're not going to contest his shot. And if you're putting him in situations where he can catch and shoot or catch and take one or two dribbles off of with momentum um, versus having to create on the wing from 25, 26 feet out, I think he's going to be lethal. And that's where I think that, that Kevin Durant comparison is. And he's a very serviceable passer, too, out of those spots. So I think you can utilize him in a whole bunch of different ways by playing through the middle of the floor, um, playing through the top of the key, putting him in pick-and-roll situations because at 7-5, you just got to put the ball near the top of the square as a point guard, and he's going to go get it. So uh, I think as long as they don't relegate him to having to do things on the wing, out of the top of the key by himself, and they can – find ways to move him throughout the offense. And I know Popovich is one of the best to ever do it. Um, and as the, the Spurs have obviously been well-known for their offensive genius, so I got no doubt they'll figure out a way how to make the offense work with him. Um, but that's going to be something that's exciting for me to watch in this basketball season is how does their offense look and how are they going to look to move him throughout their offense. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm excited to see how creative they are, and I, I'm excited to see his skill set. I know I'm going past the buzzer here, but you're all I, over. I, I, I agree with you. I, I hope that they get creative with him as well. Yeah. Um. Let's let's make a jump. Blow right through halftime here, and um, make it make a jump to the third quarter. Um, I'd like to discuss the NBA summer league and kind of the, yeah. the wrap up here. Um, just maybe your takeaways from summer league as a whole some players that you liked, teams that you liked. And we went over this a little bit, but now that it's wrapped up, um, I'm just curious, what, what are your stand, what stand out from the summer league? Uh, any players, teams, or just anything that you found to be? Yeah, and I know you, you and I talked as we got into that, uh, probably our last episode there, summer league was getting started. We talked about how we don't necessarily want to put a whole bunch of stock in summer league. You know, other than kind of seeing what, what teams have drafted, what pieces they've got, how maybe certain guys can be utilized, uh, were there maybe some sleepers or some guys that were taken later in the draft that have uh, shown themselves to be worthy of more than maybe what where they were selected? And some takeaways for me um, out of the with the Rockets, Cam Whitmore. Uh, oh yeah, I was going to talk about him. You know, too, left left Villanova after his freshman season, fell a little bit farther in the first round, I think, than what a lot of people thought, and looks like an absolute steal. At the spot where they got him, he was arguably the best player in Summer League. Uh, and another one for me, the, this other team I wanted to talk about was the Lakers. Uh, not not so much from a success standpoint. Uh, they didn't get a whole lot out of the draft, but I think for them as much as anything, they at least got to see that uh, Jalen hood Shafino is going to be a legitimate rotation player for them. Um, whether or not he proves himself to be able to be a backup point guard or a backup two guard is, is you know, yet to be seen necessarily. We're, we're not in October, November yet. Uh, 
but I think they definitely are were able to at least get a look um, that they got their money's worth at the 17th pick, and they have a guard that they can utilize moving forward um, who can play multiple positions, who can defend multiple positions. Uh, I thought he showed the ability to stretch his shot out a little bit farther um, than what he showed in college. He was a serviceable three-point shooter, but he was not an elite three-point shooter in college as a freshman. But I think he knocked down the, the NBA three at a little bit higher clip than maybe watching him play last year at Indiana um, than what he did there. So he's shown some growth. Obviously, he's put the work in in the gym. Looks a little bit bigger, has put some size on. Obviously, spent some time in the weight room. Um, so for me, those were kind of the, the two things I wanted to watch. The Rockets, they stuck out to me. And then as an Indiana fan, I wanted to watch and see how Shafino performed. So what are some of the things that, that you noticed? Well, I want to go back to Cam Whitmore, too, because everybody who covered the draft, uh, you know, even you and I were talking about it, it was pretty shocking that Cam Whitmore fell. And there were a lot of people yeah. saying, hey, people are going to look back at this and realize he was one of the best maybe five players in this draft. Yeah. Um, and – Doubting recent Villanova players is probably something that people need to walk away from because they all are just they're just winners. Yeah. Um, he was the MVP of the summer league. He averaged 19 points a game, five rebounds, two assists, um, or a little over two assists. Okay. Um, and uh, yes, I believe he was the the MVP. I mean, he just looked he just looked fa- fantastic. Um, I'm I'm still just surprised. I mean, there had to have been something that. Other people knew about that kept them away, but he looked great there. Um, I love that he's with the Rockets. I love everything the Rockets have going on right now. I think they're going to be a really good team here in the next couple of years. I like M.A. Adoka. I think he really knows how to challenge and bring the best of the players. Um, what he did in Boston was, was pretty awesome. Uh, I was very impressed by Cam Whitmore. Um, yeah. the, one of the things I like to look for in the Summer League, too, is the second-year guys. I really watch that a lot. Um, because I want to see, like, hey, who's the guy that, that – makes a jump that looks like okay he's he's done with the summer league he's ready to be a competitor um i don't know if i mentioned this before but i remember watching like clay thompson in summer league and like his second year in the nba he's going into the summer league and he just looked 10 times better than everybody else and there's guys like that and one of the guys that really stood out to me was um another rocket and that was jabari smith jr he had some really big games he looked way better than some of these guys. There were games where it's like, I don't think he has any business being out here with these summer league guys. Um, He just looked fantastic. He and Keegan Murray were similar. I mean, we talked about him last time. He dominated. And it seemed like Jabari Smith kind of took that up uh, after they shut down Keegan Murray. Uh, Jabari looked great. Um, And I'm really hoping to see the jump because, I mean, he looked like a guy they were talking about being the number one pick two years ago. The the last player that I want to bring out is someone you and I talked about. I really like what I saw from Chet Holmgren. Uh, I think that he fits a really interesting role with that Oklahoma City team. When you've got you know these guards like Shea Gil- Gilgis Alexander, who no one can stay in front of, and then Josh Giddy, who has kind of been a passing wizard and just been a young guy that's he's not even 21 yet. They got a really young group, and then to bring in Chet, and I think he just fits that dynamic really well. Um, you brought up. The comparison with Victor Wembanyama, and I think those two are going to be kind of tied together. He is a real defender, man. Yeah. He was blocking shots. He was staying with guards. Um, he moved on offense. I kept saying it almost looks like a little bit like young, like Dirk Nowitzki. He kind of had that footwork and the the way he got to his shot. Um, so Chet was the player I think that stood out to me that I was really excited about. 
Uh, do you have any Chet thoughts? I know we talked about that a little bit. Yeah, and he, he fit the mold for me going into you, – you talked about uh, Jabari Smith for the Rockets. You know, I think Holmgren showed he's a guy that really did not need to be in summer league other than simply just to get his legs underneath of him. Uh, but he showed there was no reason for him to play the entire summer league schedule. And we can talk about Victor, you know, Wimbanyama and the likelihood that he's rookie of the year, but I, I'm not sleeping on the fact that Chet Holmgren is, is still eligible for that award because he was out last year. And for me, I think he's the leader in the clubhouse at this point simply because I think he's more polished on the offensive end um, and has had time to be in an NBA organization to see how things are ran. He's going to be familiar with the offense. There's not going to be nearly the pressure on Chet Holmgren as there will be on Wimbenyama throughout the course of the year because Holmgren's not the best player on his team. Yeah, that's uh, a great point. Now, he very well may become the best player on his team, but you know, you've got, like you said, Shea Gildas Alexander, who goes for 30 a night, Giddy, who is a walking triple-double waiting to happen. Uh, and I think Oklahoma City, with what they've got right now, is a dark horse in the Western Conference, not to go win a title, but to make a playoff run and knock somebody out of the playoffs that they shouldn't knock out of the playoffs. Um, I, yeah, I, I think that's what they look like too. And for me, on the flip side of that, if we, to go from the Western Conference to the Eastern Conference, just want to talk about what I like the Detroit Pistons have right now. Um, I, don't, I think they're still a year or two away to put them in the conversation of, of being in contention to make a run or be a team like OKC. I don't think they're there yet. Um, but what I saw out of them in Summer League and what they've got coming back, you know, with guys like Cade Cunningham, uh, Jaden Ivey, who played a little bit in the Summer League, Jalen Duran, who I think is underrated. They dra- drafted a Sir Thompson. He's going to be, I think, an all-star caliber type player. And bringing in James Wiseman, uh, you know, the, the youth, to talk about OKC, you know, Detroit kind of has the same thing going on. So I'm excited to see what they've got, too. They've got youth. And they've got youth in the right places, so I'm excited to watch Detroit, too. So Detroit was the, the team I wanted to bring up, and I'm glad you brought them up because I'm really excited about them. I love that they have Monty Williams. I think he really knows how to build. I hope they stick with him because the other franchises yeah. that had him walked away from him. Um, I love Sir Thompson. I should have brought him up earlier. He looked great. Oh, I'm glad you brought it up because I'd forgotten about him. But he looked fantastic. I love that Cunningham will be back and healthy. They've got guys that are all about the same age and playing together. Um, they are, uh, as our buzzer goes off, but they have the most fun, I think, young group next to next to OKC, and I almost kind of like it a little more than OKC just because of all of it they've got. They're so That's athletic. Fair. I loved what Thompson, Sir Thompson looked like in that summer league, and I think just all of it around a guy who facilitates like Kate Cunningham just looked like they could they could be that team in like a year or two that's like where did these guys come from yeah um, i kind of like them on both ends of the spectrum looking at okc and detroit there's two young teams that are really building something that i think is special yeah um yeah i'm, I'm really excited for detroit uh, going into the fourth quarter um you and i discussed going over free agency and as i start the clock here we were kind of going to discuss a, a few different topics but then we had breaking news this morning as we were getting all this together. Um, big free agency news. Uh, we were talking about it earlier. The Jalen Brown contract, which we had mentioned not a whole lot coming out of Boston from Jalen Brown. Uh, it was reported today that Jalen Brown signed the biggest 
contract in the history of the NBA. Um, a max deal of six years, I believe it said six years. Five years, excuse me. Five-year, $304 million. What do you think about the biggest contract in the history of NBA, in the NBA? Well, it only comes out to like seven hundred and fifty grand per game, so I don't know how he's going to be able to live on that type of money. Um, really going to be scraping by for the foreseeable future, and I hate to hear that for him. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> um, sarcasm aside, I I guess that, that if that's what the market dictates your worth, then that's what you're worth. But for me, I've got a hard time looking at that type of money and that type of commitment to a player who was in the middle of multiple trade rumors from the time the conference finals were over until this morning. You think about all the draft day conversations that involved Jalen Brown. You think about all the Damian Lillard trade rumors that involved Jalen Brown, potentially going to Houston, potentially going to Portland. Um, And to throw $300 million at a guy that I think you and I are both in agreement is the second best player on his team. And I just, I mean, good for him. Yeah, that's good yeah, for him. I mean, he's you know, all of this. He doesn't care what we have to say about this right now. Pay guess, the but. pay the man his money. Um, <laughs> you know, talk to me while I'm on my way to the bank. I guess, but um, I think it's a lot of money to pay for the second best player on your team, and a guy that's in constant trade rumors. And I think that this probably shuts down some of those those trade talks. And maybe this is Boston committing to Jalen Brown. Who knows? Uh, but I, I think it's a lot of money to throw at a guy. I, I think it is too. I think there are, you know, I think before this previously it was Jokic. Um, there's, you could say that the Nuggets were going to pay any number to Nikola Jokic, and I wouldn't argue with it. Like, okay, I get it. You could tell me the Milwaukee Bucks are going to pay, and you could name any number. Hey, they're going to pay this to Giannis. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that makes total sense. Like, there are a few guys that if you said they're going to get this number, it makes sense. And that's not taken away from how good of a player Jalen Brown is. He's a super important player for that team. Um, he happens to be the second best player because he plays with probably the best forward in basketball right now, maybe at the you know small forward position. Um, it's just is surprising, especially because of the trade rumors. Um, one of my thoughts was, you know, is this justify a trade at some point to bring back a huge package for Jalen Brown? You know, could you trade him and bring in? another big superstar or a big haul because, hey, this guy's worth the biggest contract in the history of basketball. We need something back. Um, I'm not sure. Um, that seems like it's a possibility. I don't know. For the for being just, you know, the sake of being a basketball fan, I hope that means that he commits, that the, that the Boston Celtics are committed to Jalen Brown. I think they have a good thing going in Boston. You know, you don't win the championship every year. They definitely have, have been very close at times. But I'd like to see them continue with those two guys because it is. I like to see those teams that are around for a few years. Um, but it was just surprising. I mean, I figured he was going to get a big contract, but that number is surprising. Like you said, for the second best player. Again, if it was Tatum, I, I get it with Tatum. Um, I'm just shocked, and I'm not sure what that means going forward. I think that's the the question that. We were kind of talking about, but go ahead, yeah. Well, it just—it's amazing to me, and we've known for a few years now that NBA contracts are through the roof, and the money is absurd. But we're looking at almost sixty-one million dollars for five years. 
Um, yeah. And I'm sure it's probably staggered to increase each year. So that's the average is almost 61 million. I'm sure it starts lower and then gradually increases because that's mo how most of those max contracts work. But um, I'm with you. Like you knew being – I mean, he's a top, what, 20, 25 player in the league most likely yeah, if, we were, if we were to break guys down. Um, so you know he's going to get some sort of a max contract. But to see something north of $300 million, um, this is now kind of getting into that category where you talk about NFL quarterback contracts where now you've set a, a completely new standard for what a max deal looks like. And now you, you know, like you said, Jokic, what sort of money is Giannis going to command? You know, what sort of money is Embiid going to command? In free agency, so now you've got a lot of different conversations that these NBA teams are going to have to have, and organizations are going to have to have that may change that may change the way GMs do business. It may change the way owners want to do business. Um, and I know Boston made some moves and they've unloaded some guys. They brought new pieces in, so obviously they've looked to clear cap space. But I'm interested in how this changes the landscape of NBA deals moving forward too. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, and it's something that, you know, a lot of times people will complain, why does it, uh, an athlete need this much money? Um, and I mean, the answer is that they don't, but it is oftentimes what the money stands for. I'm, I'm worth this much as a player. Jalen Brown, who, again, is a top 25 player yeah. in the NBA. He's a fantastic guard. But when someone else's contract comes up and they are someone who is regarded as a better player than Jalen Brown, what what are they going to say their value is? That yeah, good point. Yeah, like that's that's <laughs> what you're saying here is like that sets the standard. Yes, it just raised the bar. Jalen Brown is worth this much when when Devin Booker, who's probably I would say is the guy you know the best shooting guard in the league, when he goes talking about a contract extension, when that comes up for Embiid, Giannis, Tatum. I mean, that's the biggest thing here is what does that mean for Jason Tatum when it when it's his time to, to yeah. sign an extension. I would say in the next you know, coming years. I'm not exactly sure the details of this contract when it comes up, but it's coming. If that's what you're giving Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum's definitely going to have a number that he thinks represents uh, you know, what he's worth. That's what I think is the most interesting thing here is if Brown's worth that much, there's, there's 10 to 15 guys who are thinking they're worth well over $300 million now. Well, and what does this do, Cam, for your small market teams? Yeah, you've got you've got Boston, New York, you've got Philly, Miami, LA. Phoenix is now becoming sort of a destination spot, destination city for these players. But what does that do to Milwaukee with Giannis? What does this do to Denver with Jokic? I think about our hometown Pacers. You know, what does it do to teams like that Detroit that we just talked about? You know, how does it impact those organizations that are not going to be able to sign a guy to a three hundred million dollar contract or you're in a spot where a guy's not going to want to come to your city for a $300 million contract. Right, and, you know, if if they've got the cap space for it, and, you know, it's not quite like baseball. There's not one team that has, has more, but when you're not a destination, are you spending a lot of money on a player that's not worth that much? Right. Are you going to pay a second- or third-rate superstar, a, you know, a contract worth, you know, a couple hundred million dollars, yeah, and they're just not quite worth it. You know, I don't know. Uh, that's our final buzzer there for fourth 
for four quarters. Uh, very exciting conversations. Um, really interesting, fun topic coming up after the break. Um, we're excited for it. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back. Uh, we're coming into our final segment here, and I'm pretty excited about this one because when we're talking about some of the more interesting basketball things going on right now outside of the NBA and the Summer League is wrapped up, um, one of the things I find really entertaining, um, and after we took a few shots at slam ball earlier, um, is what they call the basketball tournament, TBT. Um, I really like it because I like seeing some of the guys that's kind of nostalgic for guys who really followed it. For those who don't know, um, the basketball tournament is... A basketball tournament that takes place um, right here in this off-season time, and it is often made up of teams of uh, certain college alumni. They, a lot of times, will play for, uh, you know, charities and things like that. You know, they'll have those team names that'll, you know, that they'll be sponsored that way, or they'll, you know, give some proceeds to that. But it is made up a lot, a lot of times, of these uh, alumni teams. Certain colleges will bring back guys yep. who played together. They'll run with that group. Um, I know that it was really fun a couple summers ago when Jimmer Fredette was out there. Um, have you caught any of the TBT tournament? I've seen a little bit here and there, but I haven't been around to, to watch all those games as they go on midday. Yeah, I'm, I've not watched an entire game yet, but I, I'm with you. I do enjoy getting to see some of those guys that you remember playing in college. Um, I've watched most of the – I've seen Kansas. I've seen their group play twice. Um, I think they're called Mass Street or something like that. Um, yeah. I've, I've watched them play. I've watched the Wichita State team play. Uh, and I think Wichita actually hosts – that regional and their their crowd gets pretty into it, and so that's always fun. A uh, bunch of people in the crowd wearing their so- their shockers gear. So, uh, but no, I've, I've gotten to watch a little bit of it. Um, I really enjoy watching the regionals and then watching the finals. Um, the Elam ending is something that, that is intriguing to me, and um, the NBA's adopted that in their All Star game, so they've implemented some of these uh, rule changes and things like that. So it's it's a it's a good little twist on the game, and it's it's and the you know nostalgia and getting to see some guys represent their their universities one more time yeah absolutely i think it's fun i know like i think purdue's got a team running around out there as well this year um and it's kind of gotten bigger every year i remember it being like there being like a handful of teams where guys would put things together and it seems like every year it it expands and there's more guys that, that come back and more groups that will represent their school and i just i think it's really fun i like how big it gets, and I almost wish there was a little more coverage of it. So we like yeah. the guys that get that, you know, recognition of being some really good college basketball players and, and guys that maybe you don't remember having some some great careers. Yeah. Um, so as we were talking about that yesterday, we were going over these topics we're going um, to get into today. You brought up the idea of who has some of the best alumni teams that you could put together, um, and so that's kind of our idea here today. Is we have got our five best alumni teams, and if we were putting together a TBT team, what schools would we want to represent it, and what what are those five guys out there that we think would be really, really fun? Um, now, to get into that, there are two teams that you and I discussed that we had we had left off, and not for, not for any dislike. I don't want to, you know, that to be what we're doing here, but um, I know that on your list and my list, we do not have the University of Kentucky and uh, the Duke Blue Devils. Um, and then again, that is not if there's any Kentucky fans or Duke fans, that's not a shot at you guys. However, of all the schools we could look at, it's it's pretty obvious. Hey, you could throw together a pretty good. I mean, to be honest, right. I would really like to see a TBT Kentucky team for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, with those two guys, we know what Duke has put out there, what Kentucky's put out there. But we kind of looked at some other teams that maybe have some bigger names that 
took some research to find out, hey, this could be a pretty interesting team. So this is our all-time TBT tournament. Um, if we were putting some starting fives together from these schools, uh, who would we have? Um, and maybe some guys that you didn't realize played there. Um, there were some guys that um, kind of jogged my memory that I didn't quite remember were on those rocks at some point. So these are our TBT teams, those all-time college alumni basketball players. So, Derek, I'm going to let you start out. Uh, what's your first team? What school did you pick? And, and who's in your who's in your TBT lineup? Well, I think the fun part of this, I don't think we picked the same five schools. I think we have different universities and rosters going into this, so it should be a, a little bit of a fun conversation. Uh, yeah, first, absolutely. The first school that popped in my head, um, I took UCLA okay. in an all-time TBT format. And my five go-to players I would take, number one off the board, obviously Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Lou Alcindor. Um, they outlawed the dunk when he was in college because of him. So Kareem at the my first choice. Uh, number two, Bill Walton. Arguably, if you talk about him and Kareem, you know, 1A, 1B, all-time great college players. Uh, number three on my UCLA roster would be Ed O'Bannon, uh, okay. a member of their 95 title team. Yes. A couple of final four runs there when UCLA kind of had a resurgence in the early 90s, mid-90s. Uh, fourth one off the list for me would be Reggie Miller playing the two-guard spot. Uh, and then the, my last one, my point guard, may be popular, may not be popular, um, but as far as being able to push the tempo and be a guy that can lead and be a little bit of a floor general, I'm taking Lonzo Ball Oh, nice! at the point guard for UCLA. I didn't expect you to say that one. That's good. So this is actually where we cross over. So I think this is maybe the one school we have. I have UCLA as well. Um, but my team looks a little bit different. Okay. Uh-oh. So I have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Walton. We're not going to – in this in this uh, all-time TBT tournament, we're not going to ban the dunk. I think we're, we're, we'll allow the dunk in this. So I'm going to keep Kareem and, and Bill Walton uh, just because, obviously, the titles and the dominance um, and the – if this is if this is a real scenario, to see the two bigs on the floor at the same time would be something fun to watch. Um, but I have three different players here. So I have, um, along with Walton and Jabbar, I have Gail Goodrich, okay. who is an uh, all-time guard, played with the um, the Lakers a little bit. Yep. Um, so Gail Goodrich, a former UCLA player, played for um, those teams back then that won all those championships. But I also have uh, Kevin Love, who I know was okay. a long-time UCLA, but... Um, just wanted to add some shooting in with those bigs. So Kevin Love, uh, another UCLA great there. And then I have another uh, push-the-tempo point guard from UCLA. And that's what I thought you were going to say. I have Russell Westbrook. Oh, I, I figured that's where you would go. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting that they've got uh, some guys like that. And UCLA, it's really interesting to see some of the guys in the more modern day, some of the new players. Um, who do you have coaching from UCLA? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> would you? Would you? Uh, Cam, I'm not real sure, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Easy pick that for the coach. But, yeah, I have UCLA, such a fun all-time roster there. If if the stars align for, for something like that, it would be a heck of a TBT uh, alumni team there from UCLA. Um, so uh, that that's really fun there to, to, to look at those guys. All right, I think that's our only school that we matched on. Okay. Um, so what's your what's your next alumni team? I'll go into number two, and, and I'm sticking with hometown flavor here. I'm a homer, and I'm allowed to be, so don't at me. Um I'm taking the Indiana Hoosiers all right, cool. and their all-time TBT team. So if I'm putting five guys together, uh, point guard, Isaiah Thomas. I think it's the only point guard option you've got there with Indiana. Um, won the title 
in in eighty one, left after a so, left after a sophomore season. So give me Isaiah at the point, Eric Gordon at the two spot. I know we've had several conversations on here talking about Eric Gordon and putting him on different lists that we put together. Uh, and for all you Steve Alford fans, I apologize, but we're going Gordon at the two. Uh, at the three, I want Calvert Chaney, all-time leading scorer in Big Ten history, all-time leading scorer in Indiana history. Uh, at the four, I'm going George McGinnis. We've talked about him a little bit, talked about him with Coach Brown uh, last week on our previous episode. And only played one year at IU, but averaged over 30 a game, averaged a double-double as a freshman, and then went pro. And then at the five, I'm going to go Cody Zeller. Wow. That's interesting. That's a couple different I was a little surprised by some of the guys you had there, but um, Indiana's a fun one. I think we could – you could put together three or four teams. I wanted to put Walt Bellamy on there, and I feel bad for leaving him off at the five. That was the, that was the one I kept – Weighing on, I went back and forth on Walt Bellamy for a couple of minutes. Yeah, man, it'd be fun to put together a couple of different teams out of that one. And obviously, Mike Davis would be coaching that team. Um, <laughs> uh, so for for my second team, uh, I've got the Ohio State University. Okay. Um, so my Ohio State alumni TBT team, uh, I've got Mike Conley. Um, I, there, here's my homer picks. I've got two Hoosiers on that Ohio State team. Mike Conley and Greg Oden, obviously, uh, just on those teams that made some fun runs over the Ohio State. Uh, I've got Michael Red, who was a, a big-time name there, uh, playing in the uh, 90s and early 2000s. Uh, and then some oldies but goodies here. Jerry Lucas, part of those uh, Ohio State teams from the 50s and 60s. And then Hondo, John Hevlicek, yep. eight-time NBA championship uh, winner, John Havlicek. So I think they'd have a pretty interesting team there with uh, those forwards with Havlicek and Lucas, um, Red and, and Conley, and then Greg Oden in the middle there. I think of all the teams I've got, I think that's my most balanced five. I've uh, got some some NBA All-Stars and uh, college legends there. So uh, I think Ohio State could put together a pretty historical, uh, pretty fun historical team there. Well, and I think Michael Red is probably the great forgotten player on the Redeem team that went to the Olympics in 2008 as he was put on the roster as a three-point specialist too. So, um, you know, you may look at that as being a, an undervalued pick or kind of a, a pick that comes out of nowhere, but he was a phenomenal college player and had a really good pro career too. Yeah, he absolutely was, you know, kind of a, an overlooked guy because he was pretty highly touted coming into the NBA. Um, when I was looking and doing the research here, um, I thought it was pretty interesting that um, – you know, that a guy that you know kind of gets overlooked. I know that he wasn't really, you know, the 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 big name that you would think about with everything. But he was a great college player and a and a very serviceable NBA player. So I, I like that. I like that Ohio State team I've got running out there. Yeah. We move on. We on. We're on team three. Yes, sir. So my third third university I went with was the Kansas Jayhawks, and. Relatively big lineup. I think you've got one coming up that your lineup may be a little bit bigger than this one. But uh, with Kansas, I went Wilt off the board first, Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, second, Joel Embiid. So we got to figure out how we're going to space the floor with those two guys out there at the same time. Uh, at the third spot, arguably the most well known Jayhawk in history, I went Danny Manning. 
at the third National Player of the Year in 1988, won the national title. Uh, fourth off the list there, Paul Pierce. Got to put him at the two spot, so a little bit out of his comfort zone maybe, but I got Paul Pierce playing the two guard. And then point guard for Kansas, I went JoJo White um, of the famed Boston Celtics era. Had a ton of success in the NBA um, and is one of the most well-known, most regarded or most highly regarded players in Kansas history. Yeah, that's that's a pretty big time lineup right there. Like we talk about, you know, at the beginning of this, what Duke and Kentucky would look like, and that's one that you know a lot of people would obviously look to. But you know, a lineup like that, there's some NBA champions and some serious, you know, college and NBA, you know, dominant players yep. there. So that's a really interesting one there with with Kansas. I like that. Uh, I'm gonna take your double big lineup and raise you one. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at the alumni team out of uh, Georgetown. So my Georgetown Hoyas TBT team. Um, I'm sure they can come up with a very clever name for this tournament. But um, at the point, I've got Allen Iverson uh, for obvious reasons. Number one NBA, uh, number one overall NBA pick. Um, great college career, obviously great NBA career. I'm um, at the other guard. I've got Eric Sleepy Floyd, uh, one of the leading scorers in college when he was there, there at that time, and a great NBA career. Um, and then we get pretty big. Um, so I'm going to stack the floor here with Patrick Ewing, Alonzo Mourning, and Dikembe Mutombo. So we've got a few number one overall picks here with Patrick Ewing and Allen Iverson. Um, that's that's nothing to like scoff at here to have that school have two number one overall picks and, and some and some big time ones. Uh, Georgetown, known for their size, uh, just missing the cut was a former Pacer. Uh, and, and Roy Hibbert, as I was doing some research, uh, I thought about maybe throwing him in and see if I could go four centers on the floor, but uh, left left that one. Um, but the, there for a while, man, Georgetown had some serious players every single year, um, and I think that will be a really fun, you know, TB team, you know, makeup TB team uh, with, with them. Uh, so they had, you know, two number one overall picks, and then uh, Alonzo was picked second overall. In 92, so uh, I got that Georgetown Hoyas team. I'd love to see them uh, make a run there in that tournament. <laughs> you, may, you may not. Iverson may be pushing the pace by himself there, but you've got a phenomenal, phenomenal back line of your defense. Yeah, we're probably going 2-3 zone in the TBT tournament and see if you can bring it into the paint with those three guys. <laughs> it's not happening. Okay, well, I'm going to roll from your insanely large Georgetown team, and I'm going to go into a more athletic look here in my next squad. I'm going to go North Carolina Tar Heels. Okay. With my fourth pick. And at point, I'm going Phil Ford. Okay. Lesser known point guard, but a very successful college point guard. Very well known in the Carolina community. Uh, at the shooting guard, the obvious choice, the only one you've got there, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Uh, at the three, I'm going James Worthy. At the four, I'm going to go a little bit smaller. At the four, I've got Vince Carter. Okay. It kind of helps space the floor again, just going straight athletes. And then at the five, I'm going Tyler Hansborough. I was hoping you were going to leave Psycho T off there. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, I was a little worried when you were saying that, that you were going to leave Vince Carter off, and I know that's your guy. That's, uh, that's a great lineup there. That's, that's a fun athletic lineup. We're definitely zoning you up there with my Hoya team, but uh, <laughs> that's a fun one. North Carolina is one that you could almost sneak into that Duke and Kentucky conversation, but there's a lot of forgotten Carolina guys, like you're saying, Phil Ford there, and you know James Worthy being a guy that had a tremendous college career, 
Um, that would yeah. be a team if you could you could get them all back would be an interesting TBT team. I think Michael Jordan, if he wanted to right now, I'd like to see him step out in that tournament with the North Carolina team. I think he would be serviceable still. I think he'd get you double figures. I think I think he could still get knocked down a couple jumpers even in his sixties. Yep. Uh, all right, team number four for me. Uh, I've got the Michigan State Spartans. Um, I like this team. I think we're going to be playing pretty fast in the TBT tournament. So the obvious choice here uh, is Magic Johnson running the show for me um, out of Michigan State, winning a national championship. There we go. Um, as my two guard, I've got Steve Smith. Um, Smith, a very good college and NBA player, um, proud Spartan on TV. He'll always talk about um, playing there at Michigan State. I have Draymond Green. Um, who had some great teams that went to the Final Four there. Um, would love to see Draymond Green in a TBT tournament at some point. He would <laughs> take that very seriously. Um, and then Greg Kessler, 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, was on the team with Magic Johnson, kind of forgotten with you know playing with Magic. Obviously, he's somebody that's going to get a lot of the, you know, the airtime there, but a great Michigan State player on that national championship team. And I had a little bit of a trouble of choosing this last one here. So I've got two guys... They may have to sub in and out. But um, Mateen Cleaves, who was one of my personal favorite college basketball players, winning a national championship. But also, um, I couldn't choose between him and Scott Skiles. Um, and Scott Skiles being a guy from, uh, you know, playing Indiana High School basketball. But he's top three at Michigan State in points, rebounds, and assists. I think he may still be top three in, all, in, in those three categories. Uh, but... I think Michigan State throws out a very fun, fast lineup there with Magic, Smitty, and then Mateen and, and Skiles out there. So I, I like my Spartan lineup. Um, I think that maybe one of the most fun uh, alumni teams that you could put together. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we could look at all these teams and probably make two or three rosters for each one of these schools, but uh, left Jason Richardson off the list. I know. I, I thought man. I was about that. Jason Richardson was, was like the one I was like, man, he barely missed by cut, but with the stats that Greg Kessler had put up and being on that team, I couldn't leave him off. Um, but Jason Richardson was right there. Tough crowd, uh, Cam. Tough crowd. I know that's that's tough. He he's up there, and I I, I mean I looked at that one for a long time. That was probably <laughs> my toughest pick. But a big Jason Richardson fan for sure. But he he just missed my Spartan cut. Well, we'll get in here to school number five here, and I'm going to keep the small ball rolling, uh, and. You kind of, you helped influence my decisions here on, on school number five in talking about how the TBT gets played and how most of these schools use guard play and they're very guard-oriented. So that was my influence in picking school number five here. And I'm going to go Arizona Wildcats at five. Uh, at the point, I'm going Mike Bibby. Uh, college version, not current version, who doesn't fit in any shirt anymore because he's too big. Um uh, it's like Hercules. He left the Kings and found the weight room and never left. <laughs> never. No, he he's lifted all the weights at this yeah. point. Uh, so I want Bibby at the point guard, Gilbert Arenas at the two. Oh, man. Uh, just help stretch the floor again. We're going to play fast. I'm going Andre Iguodala at the three. Then we're going to go Richard Jefferson at the four. And that was one I kind of teetered back and forth with as far as who to play at the four spot. Um uh, and then as a, a five to, that can not only stretch the floor but also keep people uh, locked in on playing transition defense, I'm going to go Aaron Gordon at the five spot, who's having a almost a complete resurgence of his career in Denver right now. 
I think that could be possibly the most fun just from an entertainment standpoint. Watching that, that's a team I could actually see. Like those guys could probably all get together. Oh, they're going to go think, for 115 tonight. Yeah, I think RJ. I think if somebody could talk RJ into it, he could be out there playing in that right now. He looks like he's still in shape. But yeah, those guys are all still around relatively. I think that would be. I think that's a team they could throw out there. Um, I would just like to be around it for the trash talk from Gilbert Arenas alone. <laughs> Gilbert and RJ, I think, would really chat it up out there. Um, that sounds pretty fun. That that's a pretty fast-paced team. So, um, with my final team here, I saved this one for last because this is my favorite one that that I have all over here. Uh, one that I think, if you mention basketball history, they would be kind of um, overlooked, uh, but they shouldn't be. So I have Louisiana State University. I have the LSU Tigers, basketball alumni. Uh, and I think that, that, in all honesty, they have one of the best alumni teams that you could possibly put together. I agree so with that. Just looking at the obvious one here first. I've got Pistol Pete Maravich, who is still the all-time leading scorer in the history of college basketball. This is, with no three-point line, this is playing significantly less college games. I believe he played 83 college games. I think. If I, I may have to double-check that, but I believe he only played 83, and he scored well over 3,000 points and averaged 44 points a game in college. That would be probably the greatest TBT performance of all time. He may even, <laughs> you know, make... Make Jimmer Fredette in that tournament look look like a normal human being out there. That would be um, very, very exciting to see him. So my point guard is obvious here with Pistol Pete. Um, then we get pretty fun here. So my, my two guard is Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, who in college was known as Chris Jackson. So some interesting things from Chris Jackson. He is the two-time SEC Player of the Year for his two years there at LSU. He was the freshman of the year. In his freshman year, he averaged 30 points a game and had two 50-point games there in college. Um, an incredible college player and was a very good NBA player for the time that he was there. He had um, a, a fairly short NBA career, but that backcourt, I think, is just pretty much unstoppable in this alumni tournament here that we're looking at. Um, then I have one that you know might get some scoff, but I have Ben Simmons. Uh, just from the prospect and the college performance, um, you know, he may not show up to play in the TBT tournament, but just having him on the roster, I think, makes it exciting. Uh, and then my front court, we have Bullet Bob Pettit, who had several SEC uh, scoring records uh, until um, another LSU Tiger, Pistol Pete, yeah. um, shattered those records later on. Uh, Bob Pettit, an NBA MVP. Um, one of the all-time greats, a top 75 player, um, one of the greatest, you know, 10 power forwards of all time. But Bob Pettit in this, and then obviously Shaquille O'Neal, um, who was a dominant college force, and we know what all he went on to. But I, I'm very excited about the, the team that I could put together here coming out of LSU. I think the Tigers might have, I think, the most fun alumni team. Even when I looked at Duke Kentucky, man, I thought this LSU team would be pretty fun. So, I'm wrapping my teams up here with with the Tigers. Oh, I th- <laughs> that team would be tough to tough to take on for anybody for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think all these would be pretty fun. I wish that um, something like this could be assembled. I think maybe if we got a we 
get maybe get some 2K thing together. And <laughs> yeah, we need to have one of our students get into their 2K and put these teams together and run the tournament. Yeah, just just a uh, just to simulate to what we got. So uh, that wraps it up. Let us know what uh, teams you like. If we left off any players or any teams that you think had some great fun alumni, uh, please let us know uh, what you think on social media. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, check us out on Spotify, the Picket Fence Podcast. Um, thanks again for listening. Uh, join us here next week um, as we bring on some great guests to interview um, and have some fun basketball topics. And for both of us here, as always, on the Picket Fence Podcast, don't, don't get, get caught watching, watching the paint dry. dry.